uh, 29 through 40. And I'm sure some of us are getting a little bit antsy, maybe need some food soon. And this is the last little bit before we get to, to eat. And um, we want to ask God's blessing just upon the reading of his word and our focus as we uh, think about his word again. Let's just ask his blessing. Lord, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for all those that you have brought here, even some of the church family and maybe some friends that are um, live streaming as well. And we just thank you again, Lord, for the ways that we could remember your precious promises that have been unfolded throughout the scriptures. Thank you for Hebrews 11 in this great uh, panoramic picture of the saints who have gone before us and how you have shown yourself faithful and strong And we pray that indeed you might encourage our faith in our day that we're living in, that we can stand upon your promises and live as people of faith. Bless now again, Lord, our meditation in Hebrews 11 and strengthen me, Lord, as I open your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Again, Hebrews 11, verse 29 through the end of the chapter. Um, Hebrews 11 is a long chapter, as you know, so we have to just kind of get a bit of a sampling here. So we'll read in verse 29. Uh, By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is God's holy and perfect word. Well, if you're planning to run a race, um, it's important to know what kind of race it is. I'm not a runner, um, but I know a little bit about some of the different kinds of races out there. Uh, Maybe even during Thanksgiving, I don't know if any of you did uh, turkey trots, right? Little 5K races to maybe free up some extra room to, you know, eat some extra pie during Thanksgiving. Uh, There's lots of different races you could go about, right? There's marathons. There's, I think, what are called Tough Mudders, where you go through these different obstacles. There's Ironman races. There's lots of different races that you could uh, go about training for. Uh, But the kind of race that you run is important because it informs how you train, it informs the kind of mindset that you have when you, when you begin the race and when you know what kind of race that you are going to run. The same is true with the Christian race of faith. 
If we are going to run the Christian race well, we have to understand what kind of race it is. And here in Hebrews 11, we see it's not a very easy race. Uh, In the words of uh, Pastor Taylor in an email that he sent me, uh, the Christian race is not run on a, a pentatonics treadmill nor on a smoothly paved oval on a track and field. Uh, But in this chapter, this race looks more like a a treacherous cross-country marathon. You see in Hebrews 11, in this race of faith, there are barriers to overcome. Uh, There is rough patches to endure. And suffering is inevitably part of the race that God calls every Christian to run. So the question is, how can we run this kind of race? We see here in Hebrews 11 uh, that we could only run this race effectively and persevere when by faith we cling to the promises of God and when we trust in his power to help us. That's what we see in Hebrews 11. We, we get this great uh, panoramic picture of all of these Old Testament figures, all of these Old Testament saints, and And we see their testimony of faith and how God was able to make them persevere through obstacles and through suffering. What we see in this text, uh, brothers and sisters, is that the most important thing about us today is not the circumstances of our lives, but it is whether or not we are people of faith in the God who can do all things. And again, we get a bit of a long list here. And so we're going to do a little bit of cherry picking on some uh, key figures here. And we're going to put them under two big umbrellas, two big headings. First, we see in some of these people faith and how it conquers barriers. And then second, we see faith as it endures suffering. Faith as it conquers certain barriers and faith as it endures suffering. Um, First, we'll look at the conquering of barriers, and we read a little bit about the Exodus here in verse uh, 29. Uh, After God's people were brought out of Egypt, they were going to be brought into the promised land, and as you might know the story, uh, that generation couldn't enter because of disobedience. Moses himself was not able to enter, and so he commissioned Joshua to bring God's people into the promised land. Joshua chapter 1 verse 6, Moses says to him, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And in verse 30 of Hebrews 11, you read there of the conquest of Jericho under the leadership of Joshua. Jericho, think about it, was the first big obstacle before God's people as they entered the promised land. Jericho was a mighty fortress that stood right at the door of the promised land. And God wanted Joshua to overtake the city. And of course, Joshua was a bit nervous for this task. The night before, he goes out and he is on a walk. And during this time, when he is nervous about the conquest, a mysterious figure with a drawn sword approaches Joshua. And Joshua asks the question to this figure with a drawn sword, are you for us or for our enemies? And that's an important question to ask when someone is right there before you with a drawn sword. And the man labels himself uh, pretty much as neither. He says, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And and most commentators see this as a a pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus himself coming to Joshua to assure him of God's power 
And, and, and this figure tells Joshua that God has already delivered the city into his hand. And then he gives him instructions that might seem very bizarre, right? March around the city for seven days and blow some trumpets. And, and on the seventh day, while you blow the trumpets, the walls are going to fall down. And we read here in Hebrews 11, by faith, the walls of Jericho came down. You notice something important about Christian faith in this text. Faith, it trusts in God's power and it obeys God's word. That's what Joshua does here. He trusts in God's power to overcome this barrier and he obeys God's word. It wasn't the blowing of trumpets in themselves that was so effective to break down walls, but it was faith in the God who can do all things. The New Testament speaks about this similar connection in, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 25. It says this there, Paul writes, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. You see, the battle was ultimately God's and so by faith, they were able to achieve this victory. Again, faith is the instrument that connects us with God who can do all things. And his power is often made perfect in weakness. And so you see the overcoming of that barrier there with Joshua. But notice also the next person listed, uh, Rahab, the prostitute in verse 31. On paper, she was someone very different than Joshua. She was not a Jew, but she was one of the cursed Amorites, a woman, a prostitute. And she was part of the land of Canaan, which was a land condemned by God. But before the conquest, Joshua sent some spies into the land. And you might know the story. Rahab helped hide the spies. In God's providence, she had heard about God's mighty acts in Egypt. And she actually aligned herself with the one true God and with the people of God. Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. We have heard of how the Lord has dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab confessed the one true God and she put her hope in the Lord and was saved. You see, they're not only an incredible testimony of God's grace, even a foreshadowing of God saving the Gentiles, but, but you see how God is overcoming various barriers here. The barriers of her not being a Jew, the barriers of her belonging to the wrong people, of being an outsider to the covenants of promise. On paper, again, she's very different from Joshua, but by faith, she is connected and in, in sharing in the promises of the one true God. Then as you get to verse 32 through 35 of Hebrews 11, you get this, this big long list and you get a sense here in Hebrews 11 that uh, the preacher to the Hebrews is running out of time during his sermon. Uh, Hebrews is, is actually a kind of sermon slash letter. He calls it in, in chapter 13, a word of exhortation. And if you, if you read it out loud in one setting, it takes you about 40 to 45 minutes. And so at this point in the sermon, as it were, uh, you could see the preacher checking his watch and he's all running out of time. So he's saying, hey, look, I'm going to move a little bit quickly now and tell you some more figures of the faith. And he names uh, four names here that come from the book of Judges. 
The first one he, he, he says here, he mentions briefly, is Gideon. Judges 7, Gideon was a man who gave Israel victory over the Midianites with an army of just 300 men. Then he mentions Barak from Judges 4 and 5. Along with Deborah, the prophetess, he was used to deliver God's people from Jabin's army. You read there of Samson. He's in Judges 13 through 16. By faith, you might know his story. He became a one-man army against the Philistines. And although he had fallen into some sin, at the end of his life, he died in faith when he brought down the temple of Dagon. You read here of Jephthah in Judges 11 and Judges 12. Again, he made a rash vow that resulted in the death of his own daughter. But through faith, he also led the tribes in battle to conquer the Amorites. You see here again, men used by God, sinful men, right? Who were used by God to overcome various barriers, to conquer certain obstacles. And the point is, they achieve these things not by their human wisdom, not by their human strength, not because they were always such righteous people, but by faith, they took hold of God and of God's power and were given victory. And, 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 and the list goes on here. He says, there were some by faith, verse 33 and following, who subdued kingdoms. And again, you might think of mighty people like Joshua, like David, like Solomon, men who were equipped to, to, to fight and to subdue mighty kingdoms here on earth. There were those who established righteousness. This speaks about how these people ruled according to God's word and brought his word to bear on the nations in such a way that the people were governed justly. 2 Samuel, verse eight, or 2 Samuel 8, verse 15 says, David reigned over all Israel and David administered justice and equity to all the people. By faith, we're told some stopped the mouth of lions. And you're probably thinking of Daniel in the lion's den when he did not obey the king's edict to, to worship uh, the, the, the image. He was cast into the lion's den. But as you know, God protected Daniel and he was not harmed. By faith, we're told some quenched the mouth of the fire. Maybe thinking of the same time of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were cast into the fiery furnace, again, for not obeying the king's orders, but God protected them. You remember their testimony of faith. Daniel 3, verse 17. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Finally, we're told some were by faith, they were made strong out of weakness. You think of David here before Goliath, weak in stature, small compared to this mighty warrior, this Philistine giant, but given victory by God's power. I love the story of Jehoshaphat from 2 Chronicles 20. Remember, he stood before many mighty armies and he was humbled because he had no idea how he was going to overcome them and and he prays to God in the presence of all of the people he's standing before the Lord in prayer and this is what he says in 2nd Chronicles 20 verse 12 oh our God 
will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Love that. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We ask that same question sometimes, make that same confession in the days that we live in when we are reminded of how fragile our lives truly are, how dependent we really are on God, and we're reminded about how God is able to meet us in weakness and in helplessness. The Lord said to Jehoshaphat in response in verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 20, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And we're told that when the people sung praises to God, as they sang, the Lord defeated the armies that were before them. Hebrews goes on. Women received the dead, uh, their dead, back to life again. Think of the widow Zarephath from 1 Kings 17, who, who trusted and obeyed God and Elijah's various commands, and through faith she received a miracle of her son being brought back to life. The point is, in each one of these cases, overcoming these various obstacles was not by human strength or human wisdom, but by trusting in God's power. Again, faith is the instrument that connects us with a God who can do all things. And the New Testament application to the church comes in places like 1 John 5, verse 5. The Apostle John says, This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Christ? You see, it's not faith in itself that is so powerful. Again, it is the object of our faith what we hold on to, which is Jesus. And think about this. Our faith is not merely in the Jesus who was born in Bethlehem. It's not merely in the Jesus who suffered at Calvary for our sins. It's not even in the Jesus who was raised again in the empty tomb. But our Jesus, our faith is in Jesus who is right now ascended and seated at God's right hand. What does that mean? It means your faith, if you have faith today, it's anchored in a savior who is in authority over all things. And that's why John says, you have the victory because your faith is rooted in a victorious savior. This means for the church and for us individually, whatever obstacles Whatever barriers are before us as God's people, whether those just be things like old age or our sin or our bodily weakness or struggles with mental health, whatever they might be, the word of God assures us all of our battles will end in victory because of who Jesus is right now for us. Now, this doesn't mean that in this life, God will give us that victory every single time we pray for it. Paul prayed three times, Lord, take this thorn from my flesh. And God says, God said to him in that particular instance, no, because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And that's what we see here in the second heading. We see by faith 
imperfect, sinful men and women taking hold of a strong God to conquer barriers. But notice verse 35 and 38. We also see faith that endures trials. Here's the point. Sometimes people of faith aren't delivered in certain circumstances. Just because you have faith, it doesn't mean the issues of life are going to go away. In the Bible, some subdued kingdoms by faith and put foreign armies to flight, but others who were equally people of faith were called to endure suffering. Faith does not guarantee a change of circumstances, but it does guarantee that God will be with us. And that's what we see, verse 35. The preacher says, hey, some were tortured. Some were put in chains and imprisoned. Some were scourged and stoned. Commentators say that this could perhaps be referring to the intertestamental time, right, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's many different people who suffered in that time. They're sometimes called the Maccabean martyrs. Uh, These were certain people who stood up to wicked rulers in their day who were persecuting them. Uh, We're told, at least in some of these histories, that uh, some of these Jews were, were required to eat swine and to sacrifice to Greek gods. Second Maccabees, it's not inspired scripture, but a historical record speaks of the torture of seven brothers who refused to deny God. It speaks of them being scalped, of them being mutilated, of their tongues being torn out, and of them being killed by fire. But this kind of suffering, uh, we could read about in the scriptures themselves. Old Testament believers like Jeremiah were stoned along with the prophet Zechariah. Tradition says that the prophet Isaiah was sown sown in two. Uh, The prophets of God were, were often strangers in this world, They were not always warmly welcomed, even by God's own people. That's why Hebrews says they were those of whom the world was not worthy. Right? In 1 Kings, when Jezreel began to cut off the prophets of old, we read in 1 Kings 18.4, Obadiah took a hundred of the prophets and he hid them by the fifties in a cave and he fed them bread and water. The prophets weren't always warmly welcomed. They were the fragrance of life to some and they were the fragrance of death to others. And these Old Testament prophets, these Old Testament believers who endured suffering, they point us to Jesus, the one who endured the cross in our place, the one who was the ultimate prophet, who was not always warmly received. John says he came to his own, but even his own did not receive him. Right? But Jesus came according to God's plan, as we heard even in the workshop, according to that definite plan and foreknowledge of God to be crucified for our sins. And Jesus reminds you and me today that a servant is not greater than his master. John 16, verse 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As you read this list of suffering, Right? You might ask, how could these Old Testament saints endure such suffering? How can we do the same if God calls us this year to endure more persecution and hostility from this world? We're told it's only by faith. Verse 35, notice this. I love this verse, verse 35. In the second half it says, Some were tortured, 
refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. By faith, they're able to endure these types of things because they're looking forward to something better. They actually believed, again, it's not just with our eyes that we see what's truly going on, but there's actually more going on behind the scenes. By faith, we can endure any kind of suffering before us, disease, loss of loved ones, old age. Only when we believe the words that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, that these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison. The saints of old believed that, even as we've been hearing, even though it wasn't fully revealed, the reward was held before them. And even in its shadowy, imperfect way, they took hold of it. As we read in verse 16 of chapter 11, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. People of faith are sometimes called to go through the great trials, to not be spared, but to go through it by God's strength. But even in this, the promise of God is that they don't go through it by themselves but by God's power. Philippians chapter two, Paul says, I have learned to be content, learned it. Not I am just naturally, but I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstance, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we see under these big umbrellas how people of faith are able at times to conquer these barriers by faith. Other times they do endure the suffering and as we close here, we meditate on verse 39 at the end of this long list. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. First notice, they were commended through their faith. In other words, although their life circumstances were sometimes awful, even though there were barriers and suffering, they were commended, that is, highly regarded by God. What kind of life does God commend? We tend to value certain types of lives in this world, people who have a lot of degrees, people who make a lot of money, people who got great status or who are maybe good-looking. We learn here from Hebrews 11, it doesn't matter life circumstances. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, an ordinary person or a mighty king, a male or a female, a child or an adult. What matters in God's sight is whether or not you are a person of faith in him. Here we get this great panoramic picture of people who conquer barriers and endure suffering. And, and how do you get on a list like this? The simple answer is, are you a person of faith? Do you trust in God's power? And do you trust that he is with you no matter what? Can you sing from the heart those words that we sang earlier today? Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. These Old Testament saints did not receive in the fullest sense what was promised. But if you look at verse 33, it, did says, it does say they did obtain promises. 
they saw the Red Sea parted. They saw the the walls of Jericho truly fall down. They, They saw real kingdoms conquered, but they did not experience the fullest blessings that these things were pointing to. With Abraham, these all died in faith. Why? Hebrews says that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They were waiting for, think about this, they were waiting for the time that we are experiencing right now. The blessings of the new covenant, the better mediator, not Moses, Jesus, the better promises. They they were looking forward to this better hope, and this is the point of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. He's better than all of those things of old. Don't go back to them because by faith in Jesus, you get to experience all of the things that that system and time was pointing forward to. And so don't put your gaze simply on what is seen, but on what is eternal, on Jesus Christ himself. The question for us as we finish this chapter is will we join this great cloud of witnesses? Will we be known in our generation as people of faith? Will we with them endure suffering in faith, conquer the various obstacles that God puts before us, trusting not in human wisdom or strength, but in God's power? The commentator John Calvin says of these Old Testament believers, a tiny spark led them to heaven, but now the sun of now that the sun of righteousness shines on us what excuse shall we offer if we still hold on to this earth in other words more grace has been poured out upon us more light has come upon us in jesus how can we not live as people grounded in faith when god has shown himself so faithful to us and so trustworthy May we live as people of faith again as we face those obstacles that God does put in our lives and as we endure suffering. May God show himself powerful in our weakness as we live by faith in his promise to be with us to the very end of the age. We'll close in prayer. If you have any questions, I think during the lunchtime you could ask any questions about any of the talks to myself or Pastor Taylor. But why don't I close us in prayer? And I'll also pray for our our, our lunch in just a moment. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you so much for the opportunity to enjoy this Saturday morning, reflecting upon your promises and to remember how you have been faithful to your word in times of old. And so you will continue to be faithful to that word that you have promised to us as well. Lord, thank you for the days that we live in. We confess that it's, it's still hard at times for us to take hold of these things by faith. There are still so many things that distract us and weigh down our hearts. But we pray, O Lord, that indeed you might show us the blessing of living in the new covenant, in the days that we're living in. And we thank you that ultimately, O Lord, it's not the strength of our faith that saves us, but it is Christ, the object who holds on to us, who holds us fast. So we praise you and thank you for your beloved son. And we pray that indeed today and in the days ahead, you might help us by your spirit to live more faithfully for your glory. Thank you for this time that we could spend now enjoying some food together around the table. Thank you for the hands that have prepared this meal for us. Strengthen also our bodies 
and continue to bless us in the remainder of this morning and this day. Hear our prayers, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.